No Guts, No Galaxy is recorded in front of a live studio audience. This is an adult podcast containing adult language. Consider yourself warned. Hello, everybody. This is Duncan Fisher. You know what real love is. I do. That's why I'm Drunken Fisher. Duncan Fisher, the voice of this cruddy planet known as Solaris Heaven. Real love was that time that my third ex-wife didn't get my beach house because my guy was able to prove she cheated on me before, well, before I cheated on her. <laughs> Score one for justice, eh? Ah. <laughs> no, real love is that time that my only way home after a night of drinking was draped over the shoulders of a Russell-Huggian street lady named Bulga. <laughs> oh, she didn't charge me mileage, and she would have been totally right to do so. <clears throat> I, I, I never did find my car the next day. Oh. oh, but no. Seriously, folks, I do know what real love is. Despite what Mrs. Christine Ederly, wife of the Solaris 7 Games Commissioner, accused me of during our secret affair. I totally kept our secret, Christine, and I'm never telling anybody. Anybody! I promise. Oh. <laughs> You see, you see that mech on the wall over there? Well, no, I guess you can't, but, but I see it. Kind of. She was mine. Oh, and she was my true love. Poor old girl. I didn't treat her right. Oh, you didn't let me down, baby. I let you down! I... Oh... I, I'm Duncan Fisher, and you're listening to me because I'm talking. I, I might need to, I, I think I, I, I think I need. I, this has been the Duncan Fisher Minute. Listening to the Gamecasting Broadcast Network. Live from the outreach studios around the world, this is a No Guts, No Galaxy podcast. And now, your host, Phil, a.k.a. Sean Lang. And we now return with part two of the Brian Ekman interview. All right, so another big topic out there, and this was a question we had, is what is the status on bringing collisions back to the game, and in what form? Right, so collisions uh, is it was kind of 
like DirectX 11 and uh, the engine update, it's a feature that had to wait for some other stuff to be cleared off the backlog first. Collisions was waiting for all the host state rewind stuff to be done. Uh, that applies to mask as well. Uh, all of that technical work, which is a part of our cheat prevention program, which is the server side movement, had to be mastered. We had to find, we had to rewrite so much of the CryEngine just to make it work the way we wanted it to work because CryEngine didn't want to go that direction. They chose not to be server side. So we had to make that from scratch and we had to implement all of that, that kind of functionality ourselves. And that's not a small feat. It took months. Like it took six months of engineering work to, to implement, test, fix, tune, all that stuff. So now that, that works out of the way, it kind of unlocks um, collisions again. And really we're just, we're just waiting for a time when our engineers are not working on more of the core stuff like uh, community warfare and just recently the store and UI 2.0. Once that stuff's out of the way, then we're going to bring back and focus on collisions. It's absolutely coming back. It absolutely will take on a form that's fun and it will absolutely be a gameplay mechanic. And uh, yes, it's coming. It's just right now we have, again, I love bigger, bigger fish to fry, more important promises to keep and deliver on, and then we'll bring it back. Well, can you comment on the form? Because, you know, we were talking about this in last week's podcast and Garth has a different point of view, and he said, you know, from a light mech standpoint, it was base, it was brutal. And I was like, from any mech standpoint, it was brutal. But it also, you, you saw a lot more strategic thinking in how you pilot. I was there. I played. You know, I, I, I totally understand uh, how it affected any mech if you fell down, but it also put a risk versus reward. Like, it put a context of if you're running around all crazy with mechs everywhere and you're slamming into them, there was a price to pay and you know and then you saw really good pilots being able to weave and interact and people were a little bit more conscious of their movement i understand that uh, a lot of people and garth you know felt that it was sort of punishing the players because if you fell down as a light mech you were screwed and i was like well that's fine but how much how much holding their hand uh you know do you have to go and so i guess i ask you is in what form are you thinking of like you're going to have falling down or mech's just going to come to a stop like what are you envisioning i the original intent for collisions was to make players to, to have to think about their environmental awareness so when they if they were running full speed at you know 150 kilometers and they ran into something that their mech would actually take damage so what it, it forces force the players to do is to be situation more situationally situationally aware from a collision point of view uh the side effect was what you saw was knocking down mechs it became a strategy that it wasn't really the initial intent uh and it was really more the execution that created the strategy that there was this this kind of timeout period that you had to suffer through when you had to stand back up again and it was fixed there was nothing the player could do about it it could be totally griefed it could be totally abused uh, and so we want to avoid that for sure we don't want to make this a griefing tool and we want to make it uh, something that adds a layer of, of um, tactics to the game uh, but also allow the players to have a more control over it so maybe you can equip a module or maybe you can do something that allows you to get it faster you know so that you're not as penalized that would be how we would reapproach the kind of the game aspect of it the the technical aspect that will come that that part's almost done that that part's kind of ready to go we just have to figure out how we're going to reintegrate it into the ecosystem without creating this whole new other metagame that people are going to take advantage. Dragon Bowling. For those that don't know, <laughs> it was 
the okay at the time the dragon could go like i don't know it was ridiculous speed and it could literally it, it could knock over any mech like an atlas no problem and it, what these people do because i ran into one particular that was running over me and short painter rudy constantly we killed him eventually because we'd stand up get a few shots he'd run over us hit us with a few medium lasers run over us hit us uh, punching kittens doesn't really explain how infuriating and it was like so that's what you're talking about is the mechanic of it being abused and people could literally just keep running into people and that's what people are doing too at some at some points and you know how do you curb that um to where you still like what's the reason for having it like you said a little bit more you know situational awareness where they are but you don't want it to where right so i'm gonna say so I'm going to say something that people will probably get up in arms at. So, so don't use it as an example or something we would do. But a good counter to a charge is a sidestep. Mm, I would be fine with that. That's more battle tech lore than... Yeah, I'm down. All right. Uh, is there any update you can give us on the current status of first person versus third person and all that goes with it? Such as the hardcore mode option, uh, 12v12 matches, and the upcoming community warfare. Sure. I mean, when we originally set out to add third person, it was about making the game more accessible to a broader audience. And I often get asked, what's your demographic? Who is this? Our demographic is really anybody who wants to play a giant robot game. You know, I'm not going to say it's this game's made for, you know, a very small, small group of sim heads. That is absolutely available to them. It's, it's not just for the competitive player, although it's there's tons of content just for them as well this game is built for the mech fan which is a fairly broad term right this is it's not isolated to one small demographic it actually there's a lot of people out there who like science fiction giant robots that's that's millions and millions of people and you know for us to be viable as a business we have to make sure that we can attract as many players as possible and we have to make getting into the game as easy as possible so that eventually they enjoy it and our their retention is good which means that ultimately we'll see some money which you know we are a business we try to stay in business we want to stay in business we make decisions based on business metrics and things we have to do to retain players yeah third person view um we feel was something that was after after doing market research and after actually interviewing new players and asking them questions about why they left or didn't continue playing it we kept hearing the same feedback over and over again and two things came from that Obviously, tutorials. Just kind of a no-brainer, right? The game needs tutorials. They have arrived. They will continue to arrive. We knew we had to do that. But the other thing was they really had a hard time understanding their mech and their, where the position was. So that's why we made their person view. It was really to facilitate the learning of, of, of movement for new players and getting them into the game as quickly as possible. And then most of what we're seeing is a lot of people will play 20, 30 matches in third-person view, and then they'll switch to first-person, which is exactly what we wanted. We want them to migrate, start in third-person, get an understanding of how their mech works, then take that visual imprint, that understanding, and bring it into the first-person view. And chances are they may never leave first-person again. So 
that's kind of the, the background. And then the, pro, the, the what we said is, hey, this is how we'd like to address it because people are really concerned about the the um, integrity of the game and how, how complex it or how, how it could be used in cheating and stuff like that. We were really concerned about that too. That was our number one concern. And then we executed it. You know, it didn't take us long. It was one engineer. It took him like three weeks of work, I think, to put it in. And we sat down and we all played and we let, huh, this is it? Wow, that's... You know, I still like first person the most, but I'll pop out in the third person once in a while just to see my mech and see my camo pattern and stuff like that. But I find it very difficult to aim, so I'm I'm definitely a first person guy. And we're like, you know, it's really not that bad. And with the drone, you kind of know where everybody is. It kind of gives away their position. Yeah, you can see more in third person, but the tactical advantage of shooting is gone. Like you lose a certain amount of the the, the fidelity and the accuracy that you get from first person. So, and I'm just kind of running through the logic of how we got to where we were. And after we play tested a few times, we're like, wow, that's not that big of a deal. So then we did an analysis and we said, okay, you know, we said this, we were going to put in split cues and that's what we wanted to do. And that's truly what we believed was necessary at the time uh, because we were worried about the competitive advantage of their person. And we wanted to make sure that people felt that they could, the integrity of the game was still there. Then we tested it and we said, wow, it's not really that big of a deal. And just internally, we saw most of our players are turning it off. So really, you're playing against first-person people most of the time. And they're, they're, experienced players choose first-person over third-person, which we knew, we figured would happen, but it was validated by the data. And so we're like, okay, well, do we really need these split cues? Because there was a risk, and this is a risk that the community was well aware of because you know, they're very intelligent people, and they're, they're able to come up with great conclusions on their own. Splitting the cues means we split up the matchmaker, and, and that is a concern. It doesn't matter how many players you have. The more buckets you create, the longer the wait times are going to be. And that's one of our number one concerns is, is making sure players don't have to wait for matches for an like a really long time. So we looked at the two and we said, well, the tactical advantages for the versus the wait times of adding all these hardcore modes, and we're like, you know, it's not the right solution anymore. It was. It, it originally was the right solution because at the time, with the knowledge we had, that was that was it. That was that's what we need to do. But then, as we went through the development process and discovered that the advantage really wasn't there, it wasn't a huge advantage. We felt that the hardcore cues and separating the player base up was going to do more harm than allowing the public cues to have mixed modes. So that's when I made a post and I said, "Hey, we, this is our discovery. We haven't abandoned the concept, but we were going to rethink how how it's going to happen, and we're still doing that." We've already already executed in one change, which is allowing the really competitive players, which um, are are part of that 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 that's a group that's really vocal about their personal view. And we agree, like we understand your viewpoint and how you want to maintain the integrity of your gameplay, and you feel that third person interferes with that. And we don't we don't have a problem with that. We agree, and we want to find a good solution. Cues weren't it. It seems like a good solution, but at the end of the day, it probably would do uh, more harm than good. So we figured, you know, where do these players, where do they like to play and what do they do? So we did an analysis, and I I know I'm rattling on, but it's a big story. So uh, we did analysis on on matches, and we looked at where all these players, the players who were discussing this and making posts, because we can compare, you know, a person on the forum to their player activity. So we look, okay, this player's got 2,000 matches, 10,000 matches. Okay, he's got a KDAR this, and and okay, he's grouped this many times. So we did an analysis on their play behavior, and we found that a lot of these players do play in the public queues, that's for sure, but they also play a lot of 12 um, 12 player teams pre-made teams and so we said okay well that's a that's a that's a good first step that's something we can do that creates a place for these these players who really want to be super competitive and um 
and only want to play first person. We put a vote up. It was almost, I mean, it was like 10 to one. Yes, do it. So, uh, you know, we let, we said, Hey, here community, you said something, we're listening. Here's a proposal. It's not the entire picture, but it's a part of it. And so we've executed on that and that'll go live on September 17th. Uh, the 12 man queues will be first person only, which allows players who want to force that to go and play in that system, in that, in that, um, in that queue, so to speak, and they can enjoy that. Now, down the road, going forward, we haven't final, put a, made a final statement on how the community warfare is going to work, but we have, we have an idea, and this is something I'm going to discuss in my presentation, and then we'll put it up to the community to help us decide and frame what it is. But uh, because there's an attacker and a defender in the planetary conquest uh, system where you, you know the Merc Corps are going after specific plants and specific resources, and there's a series of pitch battles that they'll have to fight over, uh, we thought one way to solve the problem would be to give the defender the choice. So they can choose third person, first person, mixed, whatever. That's one way we could do it. We'll see. Uh, anyways, that part's definitely up for debate. And the other system, which I'm going to kind of allude to a little bit, and then we're going to do a big post, is our private match solution. This is where we can give the players the maximum control, and this is where we can say you get to pick it. You determine if it's first person, it's third person, or it's mixed. That's, and, and, and you guys can set up these matches to play against whomever you want. Um, you won't get rewards. You won't get XP. You won't get C bills. You won't get any of that stuff. No stats will be cal calculated because it's a private match and it's not part of the public ecosystem. But we are going to create a home for you and a place that you get that freedom to choose. So that's the kind of a long-winded story and and kind of where we're thinking and where, where we plan to go well no need at all to apologize for rambling on because that wasn't rambling on that was a lot of really good information you got me excited i can't wait for these uh things to come into play and also in my opinion a great example of you guys listening to the community uh which is also great but man community warfare Ooh, i can't wait so you know obviously you mentioned you guys had an original idea um, and, uh, you know, you guys had to sort of go back on, you know, your word. And I know you guys made a post, you know, and I think you, you said it yourself, never say never. And it's a really hard thing to, to do. Um, and obviously a lot of people felt sort of, uh, you know, betrayed that, you know, hey, you guys said we want to have to deal with the whole third person and first person. And, you know, obviously I can val totally valid idea, you know, uh, thoughts and concerns. I remember MechWarrior 4. You know, but also MechWarrior 4, you had, like, if you joined a, a, a match, like, you knew it, if it was third or first person. Like, and, but a lot of hardcore players, including myself, that played in leagues, it was usually first person only leagues. Like, that was when you set up the match, it was first person checked and you didn't have to really worry about that and stuff. But what you were talking about, one of the options was um, where people could do public or private matches and stuff like that would allow, obviously, outside use of community leaks like they could create their own you guys are going to have an api system it could be totally run off of that as well and so you know that when i hear that that's what i envision is like okay private matches being able to select bubble boom your own community leagues uh, could form the outside of you know what you guys are doing with community warfare and you know whatever else you guys are planning yeah absolutely and you know we've always wanted to find a way to support it and people have asked that question many times and the uh, ask the devs and you know we hadn't been ready to answer it because we we weren't 
kind of we hadn't had time to do the design work and when we did it we really wanted to make sure um that we understood the needs and you know there will be a there will be a process where i'm gonna you know make a post and say here's our ideas please provide feedback again just like all of our major features since ui 2.0 have involved the community uh we'll do that again and and invite everybody to say hey this is kind of what we need or this is what we love um you know i had the opportunity to meet with the black widow company uh who we did a panel for um uh, at PAX and, you know, got to sit down with, for a beer afterwards. And it was really good to kind of get their perspective, which I think represents a large uh, group of people outside of just their unit. Uh, so it was, it was nice, nice to, to have that time and that FaceTime with uh, uh, players. So I think, you know, the next six months and the amount of features that are coming, come online in the, in the short term here and the midterm, even the next year and the two years and three years, which we have plenty of content for, uh, it's just going to continue to improve and expand and make the game more accessible and also just give the players more stuff to do beyond what they're doing right now. All right, so when I when I look at third person view and what you've just uh, stated, and obviously what you guys have stated in the past, what I hear is, hey, uh, we implemented third person view because there's a lot of people that want third person view as well. We're going to use utilize it as a tool, but it's not the end all be all. You know, we want to uh, in gameplay. You guys are basically implementing third person, and that's not the go to for combat. You know, you're you're implementing it, yes to help you know play new players sort of get accustomed to spatial awareness and you know all that fun stuff but what you're sort of saying is like hey we're gonna have this you can flip to it for aesthetic purposes you can even engage in it but if you really want to be the most effective you're gonna have to go to first person and you know utilize that and I, i guess that that's another thing is a lot of people have been sort of critical about is like um you know hey we want to use this just as a a teaching tool and a lot of people are like well you know, it, it's not very easy to aim and stuff like that. Um, are you guys going to be doing anything to help that sort of new player experience, like teach them? Um, now, obviously, I haven't gone through the full tutorial, so maybe I need to do that. That might be explained in there. Correct me if I'm wrong. I've done it. Okay. Does it tell them like, hey, you know, aiming and, you know, obviously the... the it's movement only right now. Okay. Um, yeah, so- you bet. So, I mean, I can, I'll talk to that. It, yes, it's coming. Uh, the first tutorial we want to take care of was just movement. Right. That is basically throttle controls, looking up and down, left and right, jump jets, waypoints, uh, throttle management like presets, things like that. Gas pedal concept versus throttle concept. That's all covered in the in the movement tutorial. Tutorial third person, first person. We explain to them how to switch between the two. Going forward, there will be a weapons tutorial, heat management. There will be several other tutorials, more advanced things like how to use the battle grid, how to organize lances, and things like that. So well, we absolutely do plan to add all these things. Uh, one of the issues we have right now is it's just part of the drop-down list. There's no way for us to call um, the attention to new users that this exists. With the UI, we actually are, we have a breadcrumb flow that allows us to lock elements of the UI down so that we can force players to go through a a basic tutorial system and they'll emerge from that tutorial system with a greater sense of knowledge already so that's going to help all right we're going to be moving into weapon systems uh first question we have is regarding weapons such as the light goss uh, yes i said goss not gauss it's goss damn it mm-hmm. and snub nose ppc are you guys going to be following the timeline for introducing these in mwo Anything you can tell us about the new weapons? And what, what he means by timeline is, um, you know, obviously, like, some weapons are, don't come out to, like, 3067. I don't think he's talking about the one-to-one relationship with, you know, um, any of that. So can you comment? Yeah. I mean, we haven't uh, – I don't have in front of me the schedule uh, 
as to when we're going to be introducing new weapon technologies. They will be introduced. Um, generally, generally speaking, what influences the addition of a new weapon is a specific mech and its loadout that will say, hey, we actually need to do this. Uh, right now, we're focused uh, mostly on what's coming up with the clan tech and introducing all the missing ER weapons and things like that. So that's that's going to be what comes first. Um, you know, I the timeline, we, we, we're on a one-on-one -on -one timeline. I think we'll probably look at resetting the timeline just so we get the maximum benefit of the clan invasion. I really, it's a really nice story that we want to tell. And, you know, we've been pushing to get these other features done. And I think hopefully the community would be understanding that if we just kind of reset the timeline back and we run the campaign as it was intended, it'll be really exciting. So we might do that. It'll, ultimately, we'd probably put that up to a vote. Uh, and see what the community thinks. Uh, the as for like far future stuff like thirty sixty seven, there's a way we can do it that's kind of fun, provided we skirt some lore, maybe, and maybe even in the lore we don't have to skirt too much. Um, anything that's because of clan tech, like it's a derivative of clan tech, we'll probably have to be careful with. But if something was say in R and D at some point, and we can kind of bring it forward in the timeline and make it available as a prototype weapon. I think that would be one way to get some of those later stage uh, items back in. The other idea we had was to shard the universe and uh, and allow players to like do succession wars and do clan wars and do do post clan and things like that. So that would be another hmm. way we can just advance like really far future tech. Well, most weapons, most of them are Star League um, tech and which have just hasn't been around or you know it's lost tech which hasn't been around since star league so that that's a nice thing too is like you know um pulse lasers all the pulse uh even large pulse uh, you know lbx all of these type of weapon systems were there in the star league so that i think that would help out definitely i have uh two questions along these lines uh the first one is regarding the timeline did the recent isn news actually get reset already to 3048 somebody mentioned that yeah, no, not yet. Uh, it, we'll, we'll probably reset it to 3049, like early 3050, if we do it. Again, we'll probably bring the input of the community in um, yep. just to make sure that it makes sense. It's not really that big of a deal if we do. Uh, it's kind of just a lore thing. It's a story mechanic. Uh, but I really just I just really want the players, when Community Warfare comes online, to be able to experience it. It's Totally. It's, kinda, it's such an exciting time period, so... And then my second question is, are you afraid to balance the UAC-20? Hmm, hold on. No, no. We're going we're gonna to talk about that in a second. Don't you okay. don't skip ahead. Don't answer that, Brian. Just a second. Another question we have is PPC and Gauss rifles. It's always been a big topic, um, and there's recent changes. Uh, now, now, what criteria does PGI use to decide whether or not a weapon system needs to be balanced? Uh, a lot. There's quite a few criteria. Uh, and the first one is the community. Uh, you know, we generally uh, look to see the noise to signal ratio of anything about the game, whether it's the economics, whether it's pricing, whether it's uh, you know a, a, a feature or or a balancing item. And what we're looking for is a general kind of fifty-fifty blend between people not liking something or and saying, ah, oh, it's okay, but I, I wish it was like this, and people who love it, right? Because you know if the silence or everybody loves it, you probably have a problem. You always want to have some some noise or some complaint about something being a little too overpowered. It's, it's, it sounds voodoo, and it is. that It can be a voodoo science, <laughs> but that's that's the start. That's the trigger. That's the canary, right? It's like, okay, something's not quite right here. There's too many complaints about this item. Okay, we go to the data. Then we look at it. 
what's the DPS output of this weapon? Is it actually killing more players? Is We can look at the loadouts, like when you say, how often is this weapon used in, in a mech loadout? And we can go and say, all right, this weapon is being overused. We can even put in uh, loadout profiles. So we can go, you know, people post their favorite loadouts or, you know, whatever, the Splatapults or whatever. We'll go and look for specific, we can go look for specific loadouts and do a count. Okay, there's 10,000, there's 100,000 of these builds in the, in the system. Okay, that's a lot. Let's, let's look at that. What do we need to do to tune it? So those are the criteria. And then afterwards, what we do is we, not only do we read the feedback and even suggested changes, like ideas people have of how to make it better, we actually do read those and we actually do incorporate them into our, into our thought process. But then we go to the drawing board and we say, okay, how can we, what's the intent of the weapon or what's the intent here and what do we need to tune it? And that's where all the things like the heat scale come from and uh, the Gauss uh, change, which uh, kind of, Paul came to me, uh, and this is, I, I'm not usually involved in the balancing of the weapons. I leave that to Paul and David because if I, it's just, it's a huge amount of workload. So I trust them and I say, hey, just make sure that there's a good metagame. But, the, you know, he, Paul came to me with the, with the Gauss rifle and said, I, you know, I'm struggling to figure out what I should do here. And I said, well, make it a sniper rifle. Use like the breath mechanic. Like, make, like, we only have one or two situational weapons right now, specifically LRMs, right? It's a very, you need a lock, it's designed to be used at a range, it doesn't work if you're in a minimum range, it's, you don't, you don't just group it with other weapons and fire endlessly, like, pretty much the, all the beam weapons and the auto cannons and the, the Gauss rifle and the PPC. So I was like, how do we decouple this concept from, from just being a part of a group of fired weapons. And that's where the inspiration came from for the, the Gauss changes. Like, let's turn this into what it's supposed to be, a really powerful sniper rifle that you use in specific situations, not running around, running and gunning as much, even though you still can do that. You can still hip shoot it. But really, it's designed to pick a target and do as much damage as possible from maximum range. And that was the inspiration and the execution for what we did. So that kind of gives you both a snapshot and a general theory as to how we approach balancing the weapons. Okay, now uh, that does explain definitely how you determine what weapons need to be balanced, but once you decide, okay, this is what we're going to do to uh, fix the, the weapon or change the mechanics, how do you determine that the weapon has been balanced correctly or properly? The same way we determine whether it's imbalanced, we, uh, we have, it's a hypothesis, so it's like if you're in school, you're like, I have a theory, you write a hypothesis, and you write a test plan that says, this is my expectations if we make this change. So we expect that players will no longer use the Gauss rifle in these configurations. So we do another check, we look at the loadouts, and we say, well, there's been a reduction in its usage, we're seeing them not, you know, triple boating, quadruple boating, or whatever combination, depending on the weapon it is, we're actually seeing people move away from those those builds, and we're starting to see them change how they use them. We can look at the telemetry to find out how many kills are achieved. We're seeing the range of the kills, and that kind of stuff. So it takes, it takes a couple weeks to a month after we implement a change before we see all the data, uh, and we're able to make an assessment as to whether that hypothesis was validated. Uh, and that's why sometimes people are like, oh, you should change it back right away. Well, it <laughs> takes time. It takes time for us to actually do an analysis and actually see the, see the effect because people have to come back and play. They have to change their builds. They have to learn the new system. So there's a period of time that it takes. So the reason I think this is such a prevalent question is because PPCs and Gauss rifles and obviously the relationship between the two, they've pretty much been used, cataphract, 
Highlander is sort of like the metagame, and you know, I know a lot of competitive players that were rolling around. That was, it, it's still the go-to. Um, I don't know about since the patch. And the reason I, I feel like uh, I would like a little bit more clarification is why the Goss rifle, though. And the reason I ask that is like right now the Goss rifle isn't the, the weapon that's spammed. It's the PPC. Like you can fit more mechs with more PPCs than you can fit, you know, multiple Gauss rifles. It, it just across board. Was the Gauss rifle chosen because of future mech designs and that, that you were sort of worried about, well, it's a low heat, there would be, you know, you can fit three or four of these on, uh, you know, or is this, uh, you know, were, were there other things? Because a lot of people, and myself included, as soon as I heard about this charging mechanic, I thought PPCs across the board and considering how many mechs can fit more than you know uh one two or even three now uh you know you think a charging capacitor in the lore and stuff so can you answer that um yeah i mean it's uh, it's unfortunately it's not really that sexy of an answer it's really we did the heat scale uh and we linked we did the the ppc changes and we actually made ppc changes this patch as well so they, there was more heat, more heat, heat, more heat generated now. So um, it's really just going back to my previous statement. It takes time for us to collect the data. So we implemented a change for PPCs and weapons in general. We have to wait for the data to come in to validate it. We've also made further changes. We're gonna have to wait for that data. The Gauss uh, rifle was just part of uh, our regular balancing cycle. It was like, hey, we're, we're we want to look at this weapon. We want to see if there's any issues with it. We felt that there was, and we made a change. So it was just we kind of go in a, in a logical order. We just cycle through the weapons as needed, and constantly keep looking at everything. And once we're done, we go back to the beginning again. So you know, as an example, we're going to be going back to beam weapons soon here, and we're going to be looking at autocans again, and just making sure, you know, it's it they're used, they're fun. Maybe there's better ways for us to implement things to make it even more fun for the players, add more strategy. So, yeah, it's really, it was just one of those, it was the next thing we were looking at. It was an easy fix, easy change, and we executed on it, and it got in. Excellent info. The next question actually is right along those lines as far as a when are you going to look at this type of weapon again, which is the NARC. Um, what, is, what are your feelings currently on the NARC? Is that something that's going to be reexamined? Yeah, I think it's it's such a situational weapon, and it's a tough one. Uh, it definitely needs some love. I don't I don't use it. I don't like it personally, but uh, just it's not in my play style, to be clear. So uh, so I don't I don't really have a good opinion on what what needs to be done. But it is it is part of uh, an upcoming uh, pass of looking at different things. Uh, so you can expect us to go look at the feedback. I know it's been coming up more often now. People are. Are, are mentioning it, hey, when are you going to fix this? So we're going to start looking at it and seeing what the community wants or thinks needs to be done, and then we'll also do an assessment like we do to everything and see what the if there's an issue. Cool. All right, now this next question um, sort of retains back to what we were just talking about, and you mentioned the Gauss rifle. It, it takes more skill to use now, which is a good thing, but it also could be a frustrating uh, thing. And I know Darren... Is, is said that he's been a little bit of frustrated, not necessarily that it charge or that it releases, but the fact that like the timing and stuff, he, you know, I know Darren, you mentioned you feel like there would be an adjustment, but I'm going to give it time. And like you said, you want to give it time to sort of see where it falls out. Now, are you guys looking at making other weapon systems uh, more skill based? And, and this sort of leads into, well, actually go ahead. Can you answer that before I move on? Bef- sorry, Brian, before you answer, I do want to just make the point that 
my frustration lies with the the, the the small window of opportunity you have to fire the Gauss. And and maybe it's an issue like Phil brought up before of me getting used to it, but also hearing the context of why you did it and making it more like the holding your breath when you're firing a sniper rifle and other F, uh, first person shooters. I understand that. And I understand where you're going with it, but that was my, you know, it's, it's a tough thing to go from the Gauss as it was before to what it is now. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we do, like every weapon, we put out an initial release, and there will be there will be adjustments. We'll, we might increase the, the time you can hold it for. Uh, I, I would like to see a little bit more audio cues, a little bit more fidelity there so that uh, the player understands what's going on. You know, it's a little bit like, whoa, 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 and then feel the discharge. I think we can do a bit better job of communicating it because looking down, as soon as you look down, you're obviously going to miss your target. So we, I think the audio needs to pump up a little bit better. So we got some small tweaks and you know, we'll we, just moving it a half second either way will make a big difference. I would even go so far as having visual cues around your reticle as well. Um, one thing I've always uh, harped on almost every single game I've played is UI. And if I'm having to look down to the bottom right of my, you just don't have the time. And you know, audio, visual, and stuff like that. But all right, so into the next thing, and this is something I've I've harped on Garth about. I've talked to you, I think, in the past, and and even uh, Paul. Out of an entire weapon systems, the UAC includes a random jamming mechanic. But the trend is that you guys are making weapons based on skill, such as the Gauss rifle. Now, is this something you guys are looking at, or are you happy with the current random state of the UAC fives? I, I don't like random. Uh, I'm not a, not a huge fan of it. It was the balancing mechanic that was put in the tabletop to offset the the advantage that this weapon gave. Uh, should we look at it? Probably. We've already revamped it once, uh, where you had to actually put a push a button to to unjam it, which was confusing as hell and just, just was frustrating. Is there a better solution? I think you know, there's always a better solutions for almost anything. Are we looking at it right this second? No. Will we look at it? Yes. Are we going to continue to do things like the, the Gauss Rifle, where we we add more skill to it or try to f- create more of a difference between each weapon? Absolutely. We're looking at ways to improve that experience so it's just not Alpha Strike or it's just not, you know, like... We don't want firing every weapon to feel the same. That's that's the, the inspiration. I don't want every weapon to feel like a laser, you know, because it's gotcha. not fun. I almost feel like what you're talking about is, is something like... Um, like right now, if I was to look at the, the weapons in MW, I'd say lasers, low skill to do. You just point, click, boom. So you almost look at like, okay, well, then higher skilled weapons, now the Goss, that require a little bit more skill, you'd, you'd say, okay, well, maybe their damage should be a little bit higher. You know, so the ease of weapons use. And I, and I feel like UACs, um, I'm going to make a reference to uh, MechWarrior and Legends. Um, they had a, a, an overheat mechanic, which is basically, if you look at it, the same thing as a jam mechanic. But it was player controlled, and you know I've said this over and over and over. Like I, I don't like random, and I feel like me being a player, if I know how to ride the line, and if I am a good player, I can ride that line and do more damage. And if if I don't pay attention, I'll, I'll you know jam it up. But I feel like uh, right now you can hold down the trigger and for one shot, and next you know it jams, and it's just. It's like the most frustrating thing, and I feel like that's an opportunity for you definitely, guys, to make a uh, skill-based weapon, Um, and I feel like the UACs, and the only reason I bring this up, well, actually, there's a few reasons, the UAC-20, oh my god, UAC-10, 
UAC2s, and I feel like one that, you know, obviously the mechanic right now, and I bring this up, Darren has been using um, the, uh, a macro for the three UAC5. I am not a cheater. Yeah. <laughs> three I, UAC5. I, I... Uh, yeah, the Miramets. And L- oh let God. me just really quickly touch on that because I've, I've been around people using macros since I was playing EverQuest or something way back in the day. Um, I've never taken the time to figure out the, uh, the macros, but I did recently, a few days ago, for the triple UAC5 Miramets, um, and it's my first experience using a macro, and I'm still kind of just using it to formulate my opinion on it. But uh, no jamming. 100% of the time, no jam. Aha! Uh-huh. All right, well, you know... I'll talk to Paul about it, and uh, you know, I'll, all I'll say is I, we will look at it, and if there's a, a better execution that is more skill-based, um, I'll definitely, I'll definitely encourage us to to try and make a change. So that, you should that's... look at Darren's stats for the past week and <laughs> see the difference. Like I've I've even noticed, and that's I'm not putting down Darren. And Darren, no, it's true. You've even, you've I'll even be the first to say. And we're like. Holy shit! Like, like. I mean, I typically was averaging three hundred ish damage, maybe, and that's just in my head. But that's what it seemed like to me. You'll be able to get, you'll be able to get the regular. But now with this macro, I'm averaging probably five hundred ish, getting up nine hundreds often. So the sound next to me the entire time, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's fun. All right, so it is average, so fun. Your average damage per match is two hundred seventy-one. So there you go. You're there you go. Now, now look at this past week. Can you look at this past week? Let's. let's yeah, see I, I can't. I can't pull it up by week right now. I have uh, it would be increased. I guarantee. Oh, jeez. Uh, no. And boy, you, you know, just I, outed me in I front of that. everyone. <laughs> hey, well, but I was, like, I was close. close. I was totally really close. close. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, geez, what's mine? No. Um, all right. So he wants to. He wants everybody right, to hear yeah, that it's hear, better than mine. Hear. No, let's just hear it. You want me to look yours up? Or yes, please. Okay. What's what's your what's the proper name on the phone? Sean Lang with a space. He's just gonna just, love just this. Just like on Teamspeak through here. I'm guessing five. I'm gonna guess four. Okay, you're right. It's 380, so you were pretty close. Ooh. Yeah. yeah, but Bombadil has played more matches than you, so <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I always because he, he like, says I'm, I'm addicted. Going to sleep, and I like I log on, and I'm like, why is Darren? Yeah, on? but on the on the other hand, I wake up in the morning and see that you streamed four hours the night before. Yeah, yeah so. that does happen. Yeah. Moving yeah. on again, I I think that's uh, for me the you know the UAC I, I, out of all of the weapon systems. It's the the one thing that just irks me. I I do not like random and especially in a player controlled environment. And we get it, we get it, Phil. You right, said it over so and over. Maps, game modes. We're moving on, Darren. The first question is: We know that the Island City, I'm not sure the name or whatever, or the next one, the Asteroid Moon map, are currently being worked on. Uh, do we have any sort of release schedule for these maps? And are there any other maps in the works that you can tell us about right now? Uh, those are the only two maps in the works right now. Uh, I always like to tell you as soon as we know what the next map's going to be. Uh, yeah, Island City, Island Metropolis, Island something. We haven't finally we haven't named it finally. Uh, <laughs> it's actually on my to do list. Uh, Dennis is bugging me about it. Uh, the uh, it will be released. Uh, our tent was to release it uh, middle of the month, but uh, as with any city map, there's always a, a few more stuck bugs and collision issues. So we're we're gonna and because of the tournament, we want to make sure we deliver it in a good state. It may make the tournament. We might be able to put in the tournament rotation. Mm. 
but uh, we're most likely we're going to hold it to the first patch in October just to make sure the quality control is there. Uh, any of the playtests might feature it. So kind of like uh, Terra Firma, it'll probably show up in a few of the public playtests this month um, because it's it's that far along. Uh, so it's yeah, we're excited to get that one out, get another city map out. It's got a different play style. And like every map, it's different. The moon base, it'll be two. And we release maps every two months, essentially. So it will be, so this will be October uh, well, technically, it's a September release. That's when it's targeted, so September, October. November, it'll probably be end of November, uh, third week of November, or early December, if if it stays stays to two months. And uh, the moon base is an interesting one. It's it's out there, and we're taking a risk with this one because it's a grinder map. It's kind of like a, a central, you know, it's a, it's a circle. It's a ring. Like an arena? Yeah, it's got an arena. Mo- it's arena inside, but... It, it's kind of a two two style arena. It's got an outer ring and an inner circle. So, wow. uh, <laughs> yeah, and it's very undulating. It's got some high different dif- uh, deviations. So I, I'm really curious to see how players interact with it. It's it's definitely going to be a different one. Can you touch on whether or not uh, on the moon one or asteroid uh, that there's gravity differences? Are there? No, and it's largely to do with just maintaining the integrity of the host, uh, the uh, Rewind server. Uh, there's a whole bunch of technical issues that come into play with changing gravity, including just the ability to leave the arena and how far can you fly. And, right. You know, what you... Like the spiders with 12 yeah, jump jets. Exactly. I mean, it'd be like, they'd be like miles above the map. So <laughs> it's just, no, not for that map. Maybe down the road, but for now, no. Remember MechWarrior 2, you never actually hit the ground. You were always jump jetting. The entire thing. At least that's what I did in MechWare 2. I don't know about you guys, but with the introduction of new maps, the first thing that pops in my head is additional game modes, and that's actually the next question. All right, so Brian, we've been using and playing uh, Conquest and Assault for a while now. Everyone wants to know what is coming up. I mean, you've got so many things you guys alluded to the dropship. Um, you know, obviously, a lot of people are like, Solaris Arena, do it, you know, stuff like that. Can you tell us about game modes? and uh you know what that entails yeah so uh the, the first game mode addition uh, will come with uh community warfare and that'll be part of the planetary assault and that's essentially an attack and defend game mode and uh it it's an a- asymmetrical game mode where there is a different advantage for each team the, t- the defending team will have a base and the attacking team will have uh you know numbers potentially we'll see I'm, the final design's not there yet but uh so that's that's what we're working on we've we've we're trying out some kind of radical attack and defense styles we had a few play tests just the other day uh thomas is working on those game modes right now and they're they're kind of left field versions of it and i think we'll rein them into a more standard attack and defend that's what we're working on it won't be exclusive to um the conquest like the planetary conquest once it's available once it's designed and made will allow it to be part of the public queue selection uh other other is just straight up deathmatch we're gonna make that available uh, that's gonna be part of again i'm kind of giving away a little bit of my presentation but it, it kind of it's necessary to answer the context of the question when you take over a planet it's going to require more than one battle and there's going to be different types of battles so if you think of like a progression of taking over the planet, there would be the initial landing, which would be more like a straight up, you know, a skirmish, which is like deathmatch, where it's just whoever wins the battle kills everybody on that field. They take control of the battle. Then there'd be uh, an assault, which we already have assault mode, where you now have two bases, like two uh, reinforced places, encampments, and whomever wins that can either capture the base or kill all the players. And then there'd be the final uh, taking over the base, the spaceport, or whatever uh, entity 
the controlling the defending faction owns. So there's three game modes right there that are tied into taking over a planet, uh, one of which is already made, Assault, and then the other two we're working on. One is just Deathmatch, so that's easy, we just turn off the, the bases. But the, the attack-defend one is what we're, what we're focusing on right now. Very cool. Now, uh, we get asked this question quite often as well. Uh, you know, attack and defend bases. Any uh, possibility for base turrets? Yes. And and a dropship as well. So um, ultimately, and some of the stuff I'm talking about right now is things that we want to do. These have not been vetted yet, so they're not not 100%. And we need the community feedback as well. But yes, we want to do. We we would like to put in a scenario where the base has objects that the players can destroy, and these objects have properties like power generation, uh, comm tower, like say an ECM jammer different types of turrets things that the players can or need to overcome in order to capture the base and that the problem with attack and defend is it's if you think about most attack and defend game modes you've ever played it's really hard to do with one life so kind of our big our big concept is going back to the dropship where you bring up to four mechs or more is we really we really have to look at multiple lives to make attack defend really fun um, and so we're going to try we're going to try two two ways of doing it like unlimited respawns with some kind of ticker resource like you know battlefield or kind of our original vision was to do the um, that you bring whatever's in your in your in your dropship so you can bring as much as many mechs as you can physically bring to the planet and once they're destroyed they're decommissioned you can't actually use them for the rest of the battle and so essentially you still have lives but it's more than one and um and we want to make that last battle that attack and defend battle really epic right a real a real true tug of war and so that players can are on the battlefield for more than 15 minutes 20 30 maybe even longer depending on how long it goes out and it really is about applying uh, lots of strategy and lot, lots of tactics to overcome a very defensible position, something that's very, you know, like there's a there's a definite advantage to being the defender in that in that sense. So, um, and then the other thing is, I love to put a dropship in. I love for, uh, and I'm like you know, spilling community warfare out the door here, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, we, we appreciate it. Yeah, we really, we really, what I really want to do is have. So when you move your assets around on the map, um, you see so you have a regiment holding that planet so you you you'd assign players to that the defense of that planet only those players could defend that planet so if you're attacked by another regiment only the people who are actually physically there can attack it and you get there by a dropship so have the actual dropship in in the level ready to go uh and you can attack it and if you destroy it the players can kind of def- win the game by either capturing the headquarters or destroying the dropship one of the two um, that sounds so good yeah and so if uh you know, I say you destroy the dropship, right? These are, and even the base, like the components of the base are assets. They're assets inside the Mercorp, and if those assets get destroyed, well, you'd have to either repair them or rebuild them or things like that. So, it's kind of a little precursor to. Now, now I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on limb. Have you guys ever? I mean, obviously, there's a ton of different game modes out there. I mean, we we've, we've actually had a podcast where we talked about this in length. Rush and all these other types, you know, where you've got an attacker, a defender, but when the attacker loses the objective, uh, they start spawning in another location and the map opens up. And you, you know, AI, and you, you talk about LRMs and, and you know, or you know, turrets or something. You know, have you guys looked at doing something like that and where respawning happens more than once, but maybe you're still on the same mech or maybe you know, you only have four? And what about AI and tanks and and you know, stuff like that? Is that something that 
you guys are cap like is possible is it possible and is that definitely something that you're like yeah yeah we definitely want to do it but we're just priorities yeah absolutely i mean it's all possible um and i think i always kind of you know i'm a big dreamer just like every one of the fans who's who plays mech warrior they all have amazing visions as to what they hope this game becomes myself included and uh you know tanks are possible it's all theoretically possible it's just time money and what's a higher priority uh i think you know as part of the pyramid we're building i think the first thing is to get this attack defend and the concept of a respawn out of the way in whatever form makes sense for this game that's fun and once we solve that problem then we've tested it and the community's had their say and, and their feedback and we've been able to to vet it and it feels good then we can start looking at rush and all these other really modes that require response like require this concept of a tug of war this push push and pull mechanic so once once we solve it for this one mode it opens up a whole slew of other concepts that we can try and apply have you um what is your feelings and thoughts and uh i know i'm about to make a lot of people happy about the asking this this isn't actually on there i'm surprised i didn't get this solaris arena yes right yes so solaris arena um how we envision that's kind of our e like we like the esports kind of the the game and the in order to support that we need private matches once private matches are created then we can create the concept of a ladder and then we can create teams and register teams and once those teams are registered or individuals or teams right are registered there can be the concept of a ladder and there can be the concept of points and there can be concept of scheduled private matches that result in your ranking being changed on that ladder so Yes, and obviously, how would you turn that into a beautiful Biotech lore? You just call it Solaris. Duncan Fisher. Hey, we got his number. You need to call him? Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say that. We got your connection. And then on top of that, the, the reason I bring this up is like, when I think of Solaris Arena, you, you said it, individual brackets, team brackets, but then also the spectating and, and voting. Like, for me as a player, I would love to be able voting? to... Voting? betting yeah yeah betting and vote no voting and, and betting or either or but picking up my iphone oh yeah hey the the match is going on you know watching it in bed you know doing whatever i'm watching a match and i can place a bet you know c bills or maybe mc i don't know and i'm not even at my computer like to me i'm sure obviously what i'm talking about is a lot of technology and a lot of work but what i'm saying is like to me being able to watch these things and actually like I don't know, it just, it's really exciting. We've never had that. Obviously, we had um, Solaris Arena in, in Living Legends, but it wasn't like eSports Solaris Arena. You know, it wasn't like there's brackets or anything going on. So for me, like, it's just something, another layer on the cake that, you know, I, I'd love to see and, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think uh, that's the logical extension over time. Uh, the first thing is build a place that two people can challenge each other to a match that is not in a public arena so a scheduled match between two entities then after that the gameplay rules right what are the rules of the tournament what are the rules of the ladder set those up create an interface for players to actually play in that tournament maybe there's some prizes maybe there's some money maybe that's the precursor to a bigger league like a like our launch event and stuff like that um so it's step by step we're building towards that uh, over time and um, you know the immediate need I see that needs to be solved which will lead to that that Solaris arena is that we have all these units who are really 
needing a place to not only train and play against each other, but the private leagues that you're talking about, they, people really like that stuff, and we want to be able to support it. And that's that's by just setting up private matches and making that system available, they'll be able to satisfy that need. But it also opened the door for us to provide a, a an official place for them to also do similar things. So, well, I mean, that's one of the things that I love about MWO. Uh, you know, with all first of all, you guys loving the the ip as much as we do and being a huge BattleTech tech warrior fan and all these dreams you know the dreams that phil and i have uh you and russ have and, and a lot of other people at pgi um it's the gift that keeps on giving you know i mean it's just like all these things are just stages and it's not going to be you buy the game and that's it it's going to be just ongoing updates and added content and that's awesome and that concludes part two of the brian ekman interview Part 3 will be released tomorrow and will include such topics as customizable weight limits, in-game events, the clan invasion, rare and unique items, and much more. So stay tuned. It'd be best if you avoid me, but I know you probably can't. You sense something is wrong with me, you can feel it on my skin, but there is more with it. Just a little off The truth is at one time I was But now I'm a robot